in the churches that so I went to. So I want to thank all of you brave souls who braved the weather to get here. They did not tell me anything about this. And about to God's thank word. all of you brave souls who stayed Being here after you got here and found it was so cold. They did not tell <laughs> me that there was a curse. They did not tell me that I, the that if I observed to do the word of God, problems. that I could be exonerated from And the they're working they on it. Tell and me uh, we probably will get heat when we leave. They did, did not tell See, me. See, that's a negative confession. We're going to get heat during the service. Just pause right but how here. many of you remember 96th Street and some of those learned, cold days on 96th Street? He made a I can remember going as never at 3 o'clock in the morning to try to get the boiler to work at 96th Street. I don't miss that aspect of those days. And that's All right, let's go to the Father again in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again to teach for this privilege and opportunity to gather around your now, life-giving word. It was usually a matter of the church and it is you and perhaps who gives to us not life, breath, and, and all things that pertain to life and godliness. Where they would we thank you for your word, big Bible, which is a lamp to our feet and, and a guide to our path. To and, read that and, and we thank you that the knowledge of your word is indeed a guide to achieving the victorious overcoming life. And we give thanks to you now, for the inspiration and illumination good. of that it word again today. Good, but we thank you for Jesus, our Lord and Savior, spirit our great intercessor, high priest, and someday coming king. Your mind and and your we thank you that it is by Christ Jesus and your life. that we have right standing and peace with you. And we thank you, Father, the blind for your peace the blind. that passes Jesus all told us understanding. If the blind lead the blind, Again, Holy Spirit, have your way and do what you do best. God said it years ago. And lead us into all truth. And right now, Hosea, Holy Spirit, I ask you four, six, to think through my mind we and speak through my voice as we continue the expiration of Father's word today. My people, we declare right now that our hearts and minds are alert, open, and receptive to an inflow of light and illumination it doesn't say that, that they gives clarity to our vision and direction to our loving, step. And we agree that we will be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. For lack of Finally, praying, Father, we thank you that no one will leave here today with their spiritual needs unmet. And for all that will be accomplished by your word and by your spirit, and the curse we again blind, agree and in advance to you and you alone no all the glory, color, praise, and thanksgiving. Gender, age, it is in the name that is above every name we pray, ever, the good Jesus news, the Christ. And we're going to close on the good news. The good news is that Christ has redeemed so us from the curse. In we the, are redeemed from the second the curse, week so the blessing of January of come upon us and we'll discuss the good news and, and the blessing I want next to time. visit again the topic of the two faces of January we always know that a new year is upon us by the number of psychics fortune tellers who appear in the public eye and of course, you're following along with me with your lesson there. And these psychics and fortune tellers stand ready with their predictions for the future, the future for you, for me, for the city, for the nation, and for the world. Now, why these psychics are so prominent at this time on television, radio, and elsewhere in the magazines is that most of us really would like to know what 2019 holds for us. But the simple fact is we really cannot see the future. While we front forward, in other words, we front forward, this is our front and we look this way, our sight and vision are behind us. 
it's backwards. It's as if we humans were constructed incorrectly. We are pointed in the forward direction, but our sight is behind us. We can't see where we're going. We can only see where we've been. Now, the truth is, no matter what we think or plan, we only know where we are when we actually get there. In reality, we can only see where, we're, where we've been. In other words, just think of, think, of, uh, think of moving along in a car or on a train or in a stagecoach that I used to ride when I was younger. <laughs> when you're moving along, you can only see where you've been. You know, you, you can only see where you are when you get there. That's the way life is. In Greek mythology, you're following along with me, they solved the problem by constructing, and you've heard this name, Prometheus and Epimetheus. These were the giant brothers who stood back to back. They stood back to back, providing sight in both directions. That's how the Greeks solved the problem. Epimetheus represented hindsight. That was a brother behind or looking backward, and it literally means uh, after thinker. Prometheus, and that's a figure that you're more familiar with, you see, usually see Prometheus holding up the world, represented foresight or looking forward, and literally means forethinker. So sight was provided in both directions by the twin brothers. Now, in Roman mythology, I like what they did. They did one even better with their god, Janus, J-A-N-U-S, who had two faces, one in front and one in the back of his head, thus giving sight both ways at the same time. Now, some of you might say, two faces, that's no big deal. I have relatives and friends who are two-faced at... But I mean that Janus literally did have two faces, and Ian, can you put that picture up? It's already up. You can see. Can you see? Really had two faces, giving sight in both directions. Now, Janus was a guardian of gates, of portals, and the patron of beginnings and endings. And it's from Janus, you can imagine, that we get the word January. Janus is J-A-N-U-S, January, J-A-N-U-A-R-Y. January is a month that signals the end of one year and the beginning of another year. Hence, we have today the two faces of January. Now, let's see what else we can learn from the name Janus. Janus was a god of motion and movement and oversaw all transitions, transitions from past to future, from one condition to another, from one vision to another, of change from youth to adulthood. And in a way, you could say that Janus symbolizes the truth of that little statement from the Bible that we have been using lately that says, and it came to pass, and it came to pass. We know that conditions, situations, challenges, and age, meaning our age, didn't or don't come to stay, they come to pass. For example, if AIDS didn't come to pass, we would choose to stay 
in an age that we like the most, like 26, 32, like me, <laughs> or 39. Actually, I think I could fit about three of those 32s into my age bracket. But we can't. We can't stay. At the end of last year, we all were one year older, whether we wanted to be or not. The statement, and it came to pass, symbolizes motion, and that we do not live in a static, standstill environment, or static, or standstill world. Now, echoing this point that everything comes to pass, the Greek philosopher Heraclitus, and Heraclitus lived about 500 years before Christ, said that everything is in a state of flux, and the only constant is change. You've heard people say that. The only thing that changes is change, or the only thing that we know for certain is change. So looking at this month of January, we find it to be the most significant period of change because January stands at the end of one year and at the beginning of a new year. January is known as a month of reflection for recap or reviewing, reviewing of the previous year where resolutions are made and expressions and hopes and dreams for the new year are expressed. Now, as a God of transition, Janus tells us that we have to let go of the past, the past of last year and the years before that, if we are to transition successfully into the future of this new year. So I want to talk today about the importance of letting go of the past. Letting go of the past is one of the most difficult things that we as humans have as a challenge. We hold on to the past for so many reasons. We hold on to it because, as I said earlier, our sight and vision uh, is focused behind us on the past. But the truth is we hold on to the past because that's what we know. We know the past. We know the things that have happened. We know the friends and family and associates. We know the events of the past. We know the good events of the past, and we know the bad events of the past. We don't know what the future uh, holds, so we hold on to the past. So many of us spend too much time dwelling on that past, especially things in our lives that were unpleasant, unpleasant challenges, unpleasant and upsetting events that happen. We hold on to the experiences of those upsetting challenges with the repetitive question, why? Now, when people come into counseling, and they come in with a variety of problems, but one of the main questions they have is why? Why did this happen? What did I do to deserve it? Why did they do this to me? How could I have avoided this? What was there that might have happened, that I might have done to prevent this from happening? But the question is always why? And this could be a reaction to a loss of a loved one, loss of a friend, loss of a job. It could be something said to you or about you that upset you. It could have been a serious health challenge or some serious financial setback. But the question is always why. Now we're at the top of page three. To better respond to the question why, I divide the why into two parts. And I'm giving you this lesson in written form so that you can refer to it from time to time in terms of areas that you want to go back and look at and study. 
So I divide the why into two parts. Number one, the why of retrospect. Retrospect is what's behind us. This looks to the past for the cause or the causes of why this or that happened to me. That's retrospect. And the second division is in what I call the why of prospect. Prospect is looking forward to the future. This is a why of, why of forecast. This looks to the future. What is the purpose of this thing that happened? What good can come from this? What can I learn? And how can I grow from this experience? Now, the why of retrospect always traps you in the past. This was the initial problem with Job. Job and his friends that you read about in the book of Job who asked, how could such misfortune happen to a man who was so pious and who loved God as Job did? Remember, Job lost all of his material possessions. He lost most of his family. And everyone knew that Job was a pious individual, a person who loved God and who loved God's word. And so the question was, why? Why did this happen to such a good, good God-fearing man? They were looking to the past for the cause. But Job himself finally turned to the why of prospect, looking to the future, looking for his good, and his good unfolded. So how did Job do it? First came the realization in Job that man has a God-given spirit that helps him to understand the things that happen and helps him to look back or to look for the purpose of the good in what has happened to him. In Job chapter 32, verse 8, it says this. That's Job 32, verse 8. It says, but there is a spirit in man and the breath meaning the inspiration of the Almighty, of Almighty God, gives him understanding. There's a spirit in us all that the inspiration of the Almighty gives us understanding. In the face of all that he had lost, which included family and fortune, Job sought the fine in value, the good in the experience. And it reminds me of something the German philosopher Goethe said. Goethe, G-O-E-T-H-E, says, it is this, love of truth, shows itself in this, that we seek to find and value the good in everything. Now that's a tall order. Seek to find the, and value the good in everything. Because you could see the good in the good things that happen. Much more difficult to find and value the good in the negative things that happen in our life. Now, the good that comes out of a challenging situation is the growth that happens in a person's life as a result of a challenge. We can see this even in the life of Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 8, we're told this. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Though a son, yet he, Jesus, learned obedience by the, th by the things which he suffered. Now, let me point out, it didn't say, and does not say, that Jesus had to suffer in order to learn obedience. Jesus was always obedient and obedient to the Father and to the Father's word. But what this is telling us is that through the experience out of suffering, he learned obedience. And this is why I always say it's not how you go through things, but how you grow through them. Most of us, and it's a human nature, position to have, when something happens to us that's un un 
that's challenging and upsetting and is something that's in the area of a misfortune or loss, the thing that we want to do is get through it as soon as possible and put it behind us, whatever it is. If it's bad, let's get rid of it. But I always say it's not how you go through these things, it's how you grow through them, and it's the growth that's so important. And one of the, one of the reasons we have challenges, by the way, is that you, it's, it's, I see them all as a test. You don't know where you are in faith unless your faith is tested. You don't know how strong you are unless you have to lift something. And I remember this story that was in Time Magazine. And if I tell you how many years ago, <laughs> well over 60 years ago, there's an article in Time Magazine. It's about this frail mother was sitting on the porch. She was an invalid, could hardly move or walk. And she was watching her son work on the car in the front yard uh, right uh, in front of her. And something happened, and whatever was holding up the car got dislodged, and the car fell on her son. This frail, and this is a true story, this frail lady made her way off the porch over to the car and lifted the car up and her son was able to skirt out to safety. Now this was in Time Magazine and I remember the comment that the doctor made in the magazine. He said, I wonder how far she would have been able to move that car if she was really strong and well. The, the point is, is that you don't know how strong you are until you're tested and you don't know how brave you are until you see those bullets coming towards you when you're in a foxhole in, 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 in battle and so forth. So they're tests to see where we are. And by the way, if you don't react well to a situation, if your faith is not at that level, then you learn something from that. You learn that you've got to work on your strength. You've got to work on your faith and so forth. So it's never a failure when you learn something in a situation. Now, the second thing that we uh, see from Job is that he took the focus off himself and turned to helping others. And you see this in Job chapter 42, verse 10, where we find this recorded, and this is at the bottom of the page, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he, Job, prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I like to say that one sure way to get your focus off yourself, of your ills, of your problems, is to get busy helping others. It works. Now, we also see in the Bible the real danger that comes from looking backward and holding on to the past. And let's consider the story of Lot's wife. You're familiar with this story. I've written it out, and we don't have to go to most of the scriptures per se, but I'll just tell you the story. Uh, this is the story of Lot and Lot's wife. Now, we all know the story of the wickedness and perverse depravity that engulfed the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot had settled with his family. Lot had a wife and two daughters, and they settled. Remember Lot, nephew of Abraham, when they split and went their separate ways, Lot ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah, 
with his two daughters and wife. And we know that God ultimately destroyed the city. It was so wicked. But on the eve of the destruction, Lot was given a warning by angels who were visiting him in the city. The angels told Lot to leave with his family before God brought about the city's destruction. So in Genesis chapter 19, 17, we find this. And I quote from Genesis 19, verse 17. So it came to pass when they had brought them, them was Lot and his family outside, outside of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, that he said, said to Lot, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Genesis 19.24 says, Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot and his family were urged to run for their life and seek higher ground. Higher ground, in this case, to the mountains and not look back. Now, looking to higher ground is symbolic to looking to God for help that is needed. And we see an example of this recorded in, in the 121st Psalm, Psalm 121 in verses 1 and 2, which says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The lifting of the eyes, by the way, is lifting away from what is visible, what is seen, and looking to the all-sufficiency of God. And you see an example of this in Jesus in the feeding of the 5,000. This is not in the scripture, but I'll just tell you this, and you can go back and check it out yourself. When, what, one of the things that Jesus did, it's not in each version of this, but you have to find the right version in the right book of the Gospels, where it says that Jesus looked up and gave thanks. And people asked, well, why did he look up? He was looking away from the insufficiency of the five fishes and, and loaves and looking to the all-sufficiency of God. That's, that's lifting up, lifting up to the higher vista of God. And that's an example that we see uh, of Jesus in the Bible. Now, uh, we just said that uh, God rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot and his family were urged to run for life and seek the higher ground, as I just said. However, in Genesis 19.26, we find this recorded. Genesis 19.26. But his, meaning Lot's wife, looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Now, this looking back by Lot's wife, where she became frozen in time as a pillar of salt, is very revealing. It tells us a lot. Lot's wife turned and watched the flaming sulfur fall from the sky, consuming everything that she knew and valued. This fixation on the past then consumed her. She could not let go, and she became frozen in time with this past and with its destruction. Now, the experience of Lot's wife shows us that you cannot focus forward on the positive future that is promised you, and it is promised you in the word of God, if your gaze and vision are fixed on a destructive past. Now, in some cases, the gaze on the past may be on good experiences, but you have to let them go. You know, you might have a good experience one day, for example, friends and family might gather together and take you out for your birthday, give you all kinds of presents, all kinds of money, and the weather's perfect and so forth. And you might say, you know, I just wish I could hold on to this day forever. But you can't. 
it's come to pass. So the, the good things come to pass as well. Now, top of page five. As we enter the new year of 2019 and cast our vision on a positive future, let's remember the experience of Lot's wife. She lost her life, uh, which adversely impacted her family's hopeful future because of her inability to, to let go of the past. The Bible clearly tells us to not look back. Now, in recalling the story of Lot, the Bible specifically tells us in Luke chapter 17, verse 32, to remember Lot's wife. And it tells us this because of the story that I just told you about Lot's wife looking back. You can turn with me, but you don't have to because you have it right in front of you, to Luke's gospel, chapter 17, and we'll read verses 29 to 32. And this is what it reveals to us. Uh, we see Jesus retelling the account of Lot and relates it to the day the Son of Man is, is revealed. And in verse 29, this is Jesus speaking, says, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Verse 30, even so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who was on the housetop and his goods are in the house let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Verse 32, remember Lot's wife. This is Jesus telling us to remember Lot's wife and the experience of Lot's wife in terms of her holding on to the past, not being able to let go, not being able to move into the protective, secure future that God had for them. Now, Speaking of this scripture, we, not, we may not all agree exactly on what the meaning is of the day when the Son of Man is revealed, but we know that it will be a momentous and life-changing time. Now, this could be the second coming of Christ, or it could be the end of times revelation of Jesus Christ. But in any event, for those of us who are here on earth on that day, on that day that the Son of Man is revealed, it will be a life-changing event. And it will certainly not be a time to look back and cling to anything material or anything in our past. Now, the year 2019 holds for each of you tremendous dynamic good. Now, how do I know this? I know this because the dynamics of God's universe always flow in a positive forward stream. And they are ready to take you in that flow if you will flow with it. Now, what happens to so many people because of unbelief, because of fear, because of lack of knowledge of God's word, because of clinging to the past, they get out of the flow of God's good. God's good is always flowing, and it's always flowing in a positive forward direction. But we allow ourselves to get caught up in the past and clinging to negative things, clinging to things that are really destructive to our mind and disposition that we get out of the flow and the flow passes us by. Now, your good is not behind you. It is always ahead of you. But you must focus forward on this good and leave behind the negative experience and any hurtful or disappointing things of 2018 or years before that. God only has good for you. 
Remember what he tells us in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Verse 11, Jeremiah 29, 11. This is God speaking. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, I like the translation of this from the NIV, the New International Version of the Bible. The NIV renders Jeremiah 29, 11 this way. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now let me remind you of this important fact. You do not, we do not have the ability of the Roman god Janus who can look to the past and the future at the same time. So you and I, we can't focus on a positive future that God has for us if our focus is fixed on the past. So focus forward on your positive future that 2019 holds for you. Now let me point uh, out something else about the challenges and tests that we all face. I've already pointed out to you that uh, you can regard these as tests. And they're tests that are designed in many, way, in many ways to locate you where you are, where you are in your growth, where you are in your faith, where you are in your obedience to the word of God. Now, this is what I want you to remember about the challenges that you face. I'm in the second paragraph. The cause of the difficulty or test is always in the past. That's a why of retrospect, which we mentioned earlier. But the purpose is in the future. That's a why of prospect, which looks to the future for the good that's in the situation, that can come out of the situation. And let me give you a good example from the Bible that I think illustrates this probably better than anything. And it's another story that you know in the Bible very well. It's the story of Joseph. Joseph, the story of Joseph starts in chapter 37 of the book of Genesis. And I'm going to summarize it for you. Joseph was 17 years old when this story starts in Genesis chapter 37. He was the youngest son of his father, uh, uh, his father Jacob. His older brothers were jealous of him and his father's affection for the young Joseph because Joseph was the son of his old age. You can imagine how Joseph is 17. Jacob was up there in age, so this was a young son. So he doted on this young son and gave him all kinds of gifts, and the older brothers were jealous. So they decided they were going to get rid of Joseph, and initially they were going to kill him, and then they decided, well, you know what, let's make some money out of the situation. And they, they said, okay, we'll sell him to, you know, this traveling band uh, that's passing through. We'll sell him into slavery and make some money and so on. And that's what they did. They sold him into slavery, the 17-year-old boy. And as you know, he ended up as a slave servant in the house of Pharaoh's captain of the guard. The captain of the guard's name was Potiphar. You see this in the written material in front of you. 
Now, as the scripture tells us, quote, God was with Joseph. So Joseph was very obedient to God. He was faithful and obedient to God. Prayed to God and always stayed faithful to him no matter what happened. So God was with Joseph and Joseph quickly rose in favor with Potiphar who placed him in charge of his entire household. But Potiphar's wife, I say acting like a cougar, took a liking to this young Joseph and she tried to entice him on several occasions to come and sleep with her. Now on one of these occasions, Joseph was in the house and she grabbed his garment. And you know the way the garments were draped around and then tied with a, a strap. She grabbed the strap and Joseph's garment came off as he fled the house. He was running away from her. So she was left there holding the garment. Now, and Joseph has said in verse 39, 9, where he, you know, always rejected her advances, he says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He didn't say, how could I do this wickedness against Potiphar? He said, against God. Now, Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of coming on to her, and Potiphar had Joseph thrown into prison. While in jail, Joseph, I'm really cutting the story short because it, 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 it goes from 39 all the way to the end of the rest of Genesis. Uh, but anyway, while in jail, Joseph was able to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh's butler and baker. They had been thrown in the jail by the king, by Pharaoh, because of some neglect of their duties in the household. So they were in jail, same jail that Joseph was in. Joseph's interpretation of the dream showed that the butler would be restored back to the position with Pharaoh. Now, I mentioned that, but I should tell you that the baker, the dream that he revealed to Joseph showed him that he was gonna lose his head and be killed, and that's exactly what happened too. Anyway, the butler was restored to the household of Pharaoh, and he was supposed to, and that was the agreement with, with, between him and Joseph, that he would put in the good word uh, about Joseph to Pharaoh that would help get Joseph released from prison, but the butler didn't do this. It's so easy, once you get what you want out of a situation, you forget who helped you. Later, Pharaoh had a dream that no one in his service could interpret. He has all kinds of people there to interpret dreams, but no one could interpret his dream. The butler then told Pharaoh about Joseph and how he was able to interpret the dream that showed the butler being restored back into Pharaoh's service. Pharaoh sent for Joseph, who interpreted the king's dreams. And you know this, 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 this part of the history. The dream showed that a great famine would hit Egypt, not just Egypt, but the whole world. And Joseph was able to outline what the country should do to be prepared for the famine, which was gonna come in a few years. Now the rest is Bible history. Pharaoh placed Joseph in charge of planning for the famine, of the fam planning for the famine, and he made Joseph what amounted to the prime minister of Egypt. He was second in charge to Pharaoh. Now, for you to understand how unique this is, remember, Egypt is where the Egyptians were, okay? Joseph was Hebrew. How unlikely is it for a Hebrew to be named uh, the prime minister of Egypt? Very unlikely. But as the scripture says, God was with Joseph. 
Now, when the famine struck, it hit the entire earth, and everyone traveled to Egypt to buy grain that Joseph had stored up for years in preparation for the famine. As the story continues, Joseph's ten brothers also traveled, traveled to Egypt to buy grain for their family. To cut the story short, when the brothers came and found themselves before Joseph, they were in fear of what Joseph might do to them. They expected him to, to order them to be killed. But listen to what is recorded near the end of the story in Genesis chapter 50, verses 18 and 20. Genesis 50, and you've heard these words before. In Genesis 50 at verse 18, then his brothers, Joseph's brothers, also went and fell down before his face, Joseph's face, and they said, behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? What he's saying is that, am I now God who would judge you and condemn you and, and, and even kill you? In verse 20, the famous statement, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, in verse 20, Joseph says, you meant evil against me. The evil of the brothers that caused them to sell Joseph into slavery was the cause in the past. That's the why of retrospect. If Joseph has spent all of his days focused on the cause in the past and bemoaning his faith, you know, he might have easily have taken the position that at 17, he was sold into slavery, that my life is over. This is it, you know. God couldn't keep this from happening to me. How can I believe in God? He could have taken that position, uh, but, but he didn't. If he had taken that position, he may never have reached the purpose of his ordeal. Now, the purpose is seen in the second part of verse 20, where Joseph says this, which we just read, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. And I would add it included saving his very own family, Joseph's very own family. Now remember, the cause of your challenge or difficulty is in the past. Let go of the past so that you can unfold the purpose, which is always in the future, that contains the good for you that can come out of a situation. The commonly used phrase, let go and let God, really does have meaning. Let go of your hurt feelings. Let go of your feeling of betrayal. Joseph had to do that. Let go of your feeling of inadequacy. Let go of that family feud. Let go of that husband or wife or child that disappointed you. Let go, uh, go, let go and let guard God who has come to heal the brokenhearted. Let go and let the Lord who has come to heal the brokenhearted do his work of healing. But my point is this. If Joseph had clung to the past like Lot's wife, he may never have realized what the good that could come out of the situation. The cause was in the past. The purpose of good was in the future. Now, for you, you need to let go of any bitterness against the boss that fired you. And yes, let go of the animosity towards a person in church who spoke to you rudely or otherwise hurt your feeling. It's not worth holding on to any of things. That's excess baggage that can only weigh you down and hold you backwards. None of these things matter compared to the glory of the things God has prepared for you in Christ Jesus from or since the foundation of the world. Now, when you hold on to the hurts and disappointments from the past, you block 
or help block the flow of good that is headed your way. The good from God is always flowing. And this is an important thing. God's grace, God's mercy, God's good is always flowing. But bitterness and your lack of faith in the certainty of this good can take you out of a flow where the good passes you by. Now, I know of no one in the Bible who states the struggle between the past and the future better than Apostle Paul himself, who writes this in Philippians 3.13, and you're familiar with this scripture. This is Paul writing at verse 13 in Philippians uh, chapter 3. He says at 13, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things are, that are behind and reaching forward to those things which are before, I press forward, uh, press toward, I'm sorry, the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying forgetting those things that are behind, just press on. Now, in this first month of January, let's all make the New Year's resolution to let go of those things which are behind and press forward toward the riches of God in Christ Jesus. Now, what else can we learn from the mythological god Janus, who is the two faces of January? As I said earlier, Janus was a god of motion and movement who oversaw all transitions, such as transition from last year, 2018, to this year, 2019. Transition signals motion. You're moving from one point to another, from one stage to another. That's life. Life is motion. And if you don't move, you become frozen in time, too. What's the, what, what, is, what, is the, what is the third law of, uh, of, of motion? A body at rest stays at rest, and a body at motion stays in motion. And so the reason some people can't get anything done is that their body is at rest. They don't get in motion. You have to get in motion. And there's so many examples in the Bible. One just came to me in terms of, of moving. You remember when Jesus healed the 10 lepers? And what did he tell them? He said, go and show yourself to the priest. And what's the next phrase? As they went, they were healed as they went, as they got in motion. So motion is so important in terms of growth, in terms of, of uh, grabbing hold of the things of God. Now, transition signals motion. We've just left 2018, we're now in 2019. You're moving from one point to another, from one stage to another. But the key phrase is moving. What can we take away from Janus in this January 2019? We can take away this, that you need to get in motion and do something and start this doing right now, this day, this month. You can get a sense of the need to get in motion from Janus from whom we get the name January. This is true even though Janus is a mythological Roman god. We get this whole description about motion and change to change from a Roman mythological god. But do you know that our living God, the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is a real God of motion? I like to say this about God. God is motion sensitive. He moves when you move. It's like that lamp or light that comes on in your home that is programmed to react to your motion and movement. You pass by it and your motion causes the light to come on. This is the way God works. Look at James, James 4, 8, 
another familiar scripture, James chapter 4, verse 8, which says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You know, it doesn't say this, but Apostle Price always likes to do things in the reverse. If you draw away from God, God draws away from you. How do you draw near to God? You draw near to God when you draw near to his word. God and his word are the same. You study, learn, understand, and apply his word in faith. This is drawing near to God. No one has seen God at any time. You see God by seeing his word, the word that we teach here every week, his word that's in the Bible. The closer you draw to those words, understand those words, believe those words, and apply those words to your life, that's the closer you are to God. Now, in addition to being motion sensitive, I've always pointed out that the things and promises of God are voice uh, activated. They are activated just like your Amazon Echo device, which responds to your voice when you say whoever, whatever, I say sorry here, whenever you say to sorry, order this or that, or do that, or turn on or off this or that device. It's voice activated. You see this clearly in the familiar scripture that we all know, Mark eleven twenty three. 23, the importance of what we say, the importance of, of speaking, the importance of using our mouth. In Mark eleven twenty three, 23, where Jesus speaks this, Jesus says, for surely I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, be removed and cast to the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. And we always point out here that Jesus uses the word says three times. He uses the word belief and doubt once. He's emphasizing the importance of saying, of speaking, of confessing uh, what you want to have happen. So you can say to this mountain of debt, be removed and cast into the sea. Now, is it going to disappear in front of you? No, but what happens when you really believe God's word that he shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ. If you believe that, things will happen, things will come to you that will cause the debt to be chipped away. Someone might even give you money. You don't know what the situation is going to be. You don't know what avenue it will take. But if you stand on the word, it will happen for you. Now, voice activation again is very important. Now, we always stress here at CCC New York the importance and the imperative of faith. Faith is the foundation to everything. It's faith in the word, knowledge of the word, it's belief in that word, faith in that word, and speaking that word, confessing that word. And then we had a whole lesson on this, a whole series. If you say the word, you believe the word, confess the word, God will confirm that word in your life. So, now we know that we walk by faith and not by sight. We also know that the just shall live by faith. This is all in the scripture. But we also point out that faith is an act. That is, you have to add motion to your faith. Just sitting and saying, I have faith, and doing nothing is not going to get you anywhere. Faith is an act. Uh, in James chapter 2, verse 17, it tells us this. James chapter 2, verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, 
it is dead. In the same chapter of James, verse 26, James 2, 26 says this, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And you know, Apostle Price defines faith as acting on your belief. You receive the things of God by faith by acting on what you believe. Now, let's look at an example of the things of God that we see in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. At verse 3, it says this, As his, meaning God, divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Now, let's just look at what's said here. How many things has he given us? He's given us all things. Nothing is left out of all. But also, but what else is there? But through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and by virtue. The knowledge of him, that's the knowledge of God and his son, Jesus Christ. The knowledge of him comes to us by, by and through knowledge of his word. And so, it's important that we have the knowledge of God's word in order to receive the things of God, in order to develop faith for the things of God. And then uh, verse four, by which we have been given, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world. Right here in these two scriptures, everything has been given to us. Now, to receive these great and precious promises require action on your part. You must receive these all by faith. As we know from Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have to take action to come to a church like Crenshaw Christian Center here in New York to hear about the promises of God by which you develop faith. Faith for the things of God that are taught. You develop faith for healing when you're taught on healing. You, de you develop faith for prosperity when you're taught about prosperity. You, de you develop faith for all of those things, all those promises that God has given us and has made to us by knowing about them, hearing about them, and developing faith for them. Faith comes by hearing, not having heard. Hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. And that's why we continually feed you the word of God here week in and week out. Now, you have to study, learn, understand, and apply what you learn in the word and stand in faith for what the word says. This all requires action on your part. Studying, learning, understanding, and applying are all examples of action. And you always begin the process of receiving the things of God by doing what the word tells us in Matthew 6, 33 where it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, you seek first the kingdom. Seek is an action verb. It takes effort. You seek first the kingdom of God. You seek to know the things of God. And that's why you come to a church like this when you come to Bible study, because this is where we teach the word of God. And of course, you study the word of God at home in that 45 minutes that you devote each day to studying the Bible. That's, that's a minimum. So you're seeking. But seeking is action. Seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is really God's way of doing things. God works 
by and through his word, and he responds to your faith. That's what, that's what you're seeking. You're seeking God's way of doing things. Now we're at the top of page um, 11. This is another way of saying what we read in James 4 and 8, which tells us to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When you draw near to his word, you're drawing near to God. In so many ways, the believer is told to get in motion. And here are a couple examples uh, about motion. Uh, remember what Jesus said to the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verse 37. He didn't say this to the Good Samaritan. He said this to uh, others that he was teaching. He gave the illustration of the Good Samaritan who helped the person at, on the wayside. And he says, go and do likewise. That's go. That's do. Going and doing are both actions. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, and you have that right there in front of you, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. You'll get rest if you go to him. But what comes before the rest? All of you who labor. What is the labor? The labor is in your studying the word and learning the word. After that, he will give you rest. Now, in a very, very first psalm, Psalm 1 in the Bible, it says, it talks about how we should diligently meditate on the word uh, and meditate on the word and study this word daily. And then this tells us what will happen. In verse 3, Psalm 1, 3 says, this is what will happen. It says, a person who diligently studies and meditates on the word, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. But what comes before all of this is studying and meditating on the word of God. We see motion and action in the study and meditation that must be, take place. And of course, the prospering comes to whatever he does, to whatever he sets his, his hand to, whatever he sets out to do. So you have to do something in order for the prospering to come on what you're doing. Now, remember also what we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, which says, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, which says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. This is a way of saying that we help to carry out God's work because here on earth God has no other hands, no other feet, no other voice than ours. He's working through us. This means that we have to work so God can work through us. This echoes what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, and you have it right there, which says this. We are workers together with him. This shows us that we are workers with God. It never says we are workers for God. We're working with him. You must work so that God can be a worker together with you. So you have to set your hands to something in 2019 where God can prosper what you do. If you don't do anything this year, God is not going to do anything to prosper what you're doing. He can't prosper nothing. You have to set your hands to something. And by the way, if you set your hands to saying, make a commitment that I'm going to diligently study the word and meditate on the word, and I'll ask questions if I don't understand something and so forth, you're setting your hands to something. God will help you understand. And how does he help you understand? That's where the Holy Spirit comes into place. The Holy Spirit is there to guide and direct you into all truth. And the Holy Spirit is where? 
So Holy Spirit is right there with you to help you understand what you're reading, to help you fully understand the word that you're reading. So, as I say down below, I urge you to set your hands to some enterprise starting this week in the first month. So God, if you make God your partner, this is the other thing that's very important. You make God a partner in your enterprise. And what, and by that, you invite God to be a part of what you're doing. And you seek God's guidance and, and help in fashioning what you're going to do. If you're going to start a new business, for example, if you're going to move to another state to launch out where you think your prospects are better, if God is your partner, you're going to prosper because you can't have a better partner than God. So you do that consciously. So on the next page, I list a few things that you might consider doing this year. Begin to write that book you always wanted to write. Go back to school and enroll in a class where you learn a new subject. Take that correspondence course in Bible studies or enroll in Bible school if you have the time and resources. Four, start learning a new language like Spanish that's useful in this city and where you work and live. Go on that trip or cruise you always wanted to take. Give away that piece of jewelry to one of your daughters who loves it so much. Paint a picture. Volunteer to tutor some young people. Volunteer in the neighborhood food kitchen for the poor. Men, become a big brother to some youngster. Apply for that new position at work that has opened up. Don't sit back and say, you know what, I'll never get it. Apply for it. Resolve that you are not too old or too young to do what you want. Call that relative that you haven't spoken to in years. And I know none of you have any relatives that you haven't spoken to in years. But if you know people who have relatives that they haven't spoken, tell them to call that relative. Resolve that you are going to study the word and find out for yourself what are God's promises that he has set aside for you. Resolve that you're going to set aside a quiet time each day to study, reflect, and meditate on the Word of God. You start at the beginning of the year and continue this throughout the year, and you'd be amazed at how much you grow. And finally, start that new business you have been thinking about for years. Now, as we launch out in this new year, let's remember that we are not like the God Janus with two faces. We cannot look at the past and toward the future at the same time. If we try to do both, as so many people do, the stronger pull will always be to the past because the past is what you really know. That was the problem with Lot's wife. She was not able to make it to the higher ground with her family to escape the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah because the pull of the past was too strong for her. If you start this year with too much focus on the past, you may become frozen and paralyzed in time just like Lot's wife. Remember the cause of the challenge or the problem was in the past, the purpose of the trial that contains the potential good for you is always in the future. Resolve today to cast off your challenges or previous difficulties from the past, not just last year, but years before, and focus forward on the positive good that God holds for your future. Resolve this day that you are going to focus forward on the good God has for your life in 2019, and remember the words of Apostle Paul that we quoted before from Philippians 3.13 and 14, where he says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's move forward this year.